Well, good morning again, church. Thanks so much for gathering here this morning. Thank you for bringing the church into uh, this sanctuary space this morning. And for those of you that are gathered with us uh, for Crosspoint at Home, thanks for bringing the church into your living room, your dining room, wherever you happen to be. Uh, if you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint and we've never been introduced, my name is Jamie. It's my joy and privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. And I get the joy of opening up God's word with you all this morning as we are continuing this series called Come and See. It's this journey through the great book, the Gospel of John, exploring the life of Jesus, this biography of the life of Jesus. And so we took a few week break to kind of do a, a vision series of sorts through part of August and into September and then pick back up last week uh, with our study through the book of John and excited to dive into it this morning. We are going to be looking at this marvelous text. It might be something that's familiar to you if you grew up in the church where we talk about this idea, this invitation of abiding in Christ, that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And so we're going to explore that and the implications on your life and in my life. And we're going to be in John chapter 15, the first 17 verses. So I would encourage you to do this. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole text. If you brought a Bible, please turn there. Uh, get it out on whether you brought a Bible on an app on your phone, or you can always go to cplife.church and you will see something there that says message notes or sermon notes. Click that and the text will be there as well as information that I put up on the slides this morning, way to follow along, way to take notes there. But this is just a marvelous text. My prayer is that it would encourage us, that it would challenge us. Um, it's been encouraging to me to just kind of soak in this particular text this week because here's the reality. We've all brought things in here this morning, things that we are willing to share and things that we're reticent to share, things that are weighing on our minds and our hearts Sometimes things that we don't even have the language for, there's just sort of this groaning that we feel, and the Lord Jesus wants to meet us in that space this morning. And so knowing that Jesus here is this true vine, in fact, throughout the book of John, Jesus has been making these declarations about who he is, his identity. We don't need our thoughts and opinions, the world's thoughts and opinions on who Jesus is. Let's allow Jesus to define Jesus, all right? And so he's been making these statements. In fact, there are seven of them throughout the book of John, and we come to the final one now, because he said things like, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the good shepherd. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And here we find his declaration that he is the true vine. So John chapter 15, we'll look at the first 17 verses. Hear God's word this morning. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. And if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And this is my command love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. 
I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce the fruit that produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. This is God's word for us this morning. And so I wanna look at this image, all right? And this image here of Jesus saying he's the true vine, he doesn't just pull that out of thin air. If you've been with us for part of this series and we get to some of these statements, Jesus is always borrowing things that the people would have known, things that were important to their life, things that they would have known as they grew up in this particular story of God's faithfulness to his people. And so this phrase here is loaded with significance. And it goes all the way back. We'll just look at this for a moment, this call to fruitfulness, all right? Because I think in this text, although there are numerous things that we hear and that we see and was just, just read a moment ago, a theme that emerges over and over again is this call to bear fruit, that God desires for his people to bear fruit. And we need to define what that is and what that looks like and how that gets cultivated. But just know this, right, from the outset, And not just the outset of John 15. From the outset of the scriptures, God's design for his people is that they would bear fruit. That there would be this fruitfulness and this faithfulness, all of this. So if we were to go all the way back to the beginning, you go to Genesis chapter 1. Like you can't get more in the beginning than Genesis chapter 1. And when we get to verse 28, it says this. God blessed them. God said to them, and here's the language, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And so this call to fruitfulness is right away in the opening chapter. You want to know what part of your calling in life is? It's to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth, to rule and reign, to steward what God has given. And what did God do with our original parents, Adam and Eve? Did he drop them in a parking lot somewhere? No, he put them in a garden. And he told them, go and make the rest of the world like this garden. So there's this fruitfulness, there's this garden, there's this agricultural sort of imagery and language that's used. And the call is to see it expand. So there's this call to fruitfulness. There's this call to sort of have this vine that would grow and it would spread out to be a blessing to all of the world. This is why God calls a man named Abram who would become Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he calls this man who says he's very advanced in years, which is the polite, politically correct way of saying this dude is old, right? Um, And this man and his wife, they have no children. And God says, doesn't matter. I'm gonna do a work here. You are actually going to have descendants that like outnumber the stars that you see in the sky. And Abraham's like, really? Like, how is this going to happen? And the Lord invites him, trust me. And it wasn't just so that Abraham would become this great man with a great you know, lineage, all of that, though that is true. God's intentions was to raise up a man to become a nation that would be a blessing. Fruitfulness. Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. By the time we get to Genesis 12, we see these words, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, all the families, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God's heart is for fruitfulness. He wants this to happen. As we see in this text, it's obviously for his glory, but it's also our joy is bound up in this. Now, 
this nation that gets created here, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, if you know the scriptures at all, you know that they don't always obey. They are not always leaning into and obeying their calling to be this fruitful vine. And so what happens here is God sends people, and I'll just read a section out of the book of Isaiah chapter five. Look at this language. God is identifying himself. He's the gardener. He's the one who's done this work. God's the active agent, and yet he's inviting his people that he's raised up this nation to bring about justice, to bring about flourishing, to bring about a right ordering in the world, and yet they fail. And so in Isaiah chapter five, it says these words, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard, all right? And so now here's how God describes it. My beloved had a vineyard, all right, on a very fertile hill. He dug it, so this is God dug it and cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. What is happening here? And the reason we're taking a few minutes just to get this backstory. Again, Jesus doesn't show up and say, oh, how should I describe myself today? Oh, I don't know. I'll say I'm a vine, right? He is letting the people know your calling, as Isaiah spoke of here, was that Israel was the vine. They were supposed to bring flourishing. They were supposed to bring fruitfulness. It was supposed to be a blessing to all the world. And their story is one of disobedience and of a rebellion and going and doing what they want. And lest we think in judgment toward them, the reality is that's your story and that's my story. And so Jesus enters into this in a time and a place where if you had been there, you would have seen this huge vine outside of the, the temple that was meant to remind the people, you're called to be a vine. The coins that were minted at that time had a vine on them to remind the people, this is your identity. And yet, they failed. And so what is going to happen? How is there gonna be fruitfulness? How is there going to be flourishing? Well, Jesus steps in and says, I am the true vine, and your father, my father, is the gardener. Some translations, the vine dresser. But that idea there, that God is the one who planted the garden, and Jesus is the true vine. He's the source of life. To get connected to Jesus is going to bring about fruitfulness and flourishing. And so that's the big idea here. There's this call to fruitfulness. And so what I want to look at for a few minutes as we make our way through this text then, all right, how does one cultivate, what does it look like to have this fruitfulness cultivated? What are some of the things we learn in this text about what goes into having a fruitful life? I believe you want that. You want a flourishing life, a fruitful life. And what this text is going to help us see is like, okay, what, what helps cultivate that? And also, how do we define a fruitful life? Because one of the things we're seeing here, I think it's fair to say, is, okay, well, how do we define fruitfulness? I think one could say more people becoming Christians, evangelizing. That's how the, the vine grows. Absolutely. Yes, amen to all of that. 
what was called out here in Isaiah, there's supposed to be a right ordering. Like as the church moves out, there should be more beauty. There should be more harmony. Things should look more like the heavenly realm. Your neighborhood should reflect more the heavenly realm, the glory of God, because you're there, or your school, your relationships, all of it. So there's this call to a right ordering, to justice and mercy. And then as we looked at last week, as Pastor Eric, we went through chapter 14, and God promises that Jesus says, I'm going to send the helper, I'm going to send the comforter, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul would later write to a group of Christians in Galatia, and he would tell them, hey, there's a particular fruit that the Spirit brings about. And so when we think about what is fruitfulness, I think all the things we've talked about so far count, but also in Galatians 5, maybe a way to think about it is this, hey, what is fruitfulness? Well, let's let the Bible define it. But the fruit of the Spirit, it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the great tendency, I think, particularly people that we've been in the church for a while, is we, we make it plural. We're like, well, the fruits of the Spirit. So, you know, I'm maybe, I'm okay, you know, maybe here with some joy, but I'm not so good with patience or kindness. No, 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 no. There is a fruit that the Spirit cultivates, that spirit that is alive in you and me if you're a follower of Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are that branch that is connected to the vine, do you know what it will produce? And part of the way we know that we belong to him, that we're connected to the true vine, is that more and more our lives reflect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, if you're overwhelmed by that, Praise God for his grace, because we have not embodied those things perfectly in this past week. I have not done those. I've not perfectly embodied those things this morning. That's the reality of it. But what we should be looking for is the Spirit bringing these things about. Now, imagine for a moment. Imagine what it would look like, not just for you individually, but for a church, for Jesus' church to embody this. How might that actually lead to evangelism, to lead to flourishing, to lead to more fruitfulness? Like if you and I were known and collectively we were known as a people that we love people well, even if they don't love us in return, that we sacrifice, that we are full of peace, we have patience, we're kind, we're gentle. We use the means of communication not to be inflammatory, not to pour gasoline on the fire, not to comment or you know, get into arguments in every social media post, right? But rather, what if we were gentle? Imagine the distinctiveness. This is what we're invited into. So this language here of Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches, is not meant to just kind of float up here like, oh, isn't that nice and interesting? It is loaded with significance. Jesus is the true vine. He had to show up because we all failed. And yet he's inviting us to be connected to him and then to become the kinds of people and to become the kind of church that embodies the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look for a few minutes then at this. If this is what we're invited into, what helps cultivate it? Right? And right out of the gate, we see this. Confess that Jesus is the true vine. I think we've got to start there. There will be no fruitfulness in your life and in my life. This might seem basic, especially if you're here this morning as a Christian, but let's not assume these things. Confess that Jesus is the true vine. We live in a day, an age, and a culture, and it's not just out there in the world. It permeates into the church where even the mindset can be, listen, who are we to say, that sounds very, you know, it sounds very judgmental, it's not very tolerant to say that Jesus is the only way. 
Well, we're here to let Jesus define Jesus. This is why when we go back to John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Jesus shows up and says, I am the true vine. I am the source of life. You get connected to me, there's flourishing, there's fruitfulness. If you're not connected to me, there's death, devastation, you're bundled up and put in the fire. Now, we don't like to talk about those things, but we need to start here. If we're going to be a fruitful people together, we have to recognize this. Maybe you're familiar with it, this, this story. It's, it's been out for a number of years now, but I think it's helpful to, to revisit. There's a, there's a, he's a comedian. He's a magician. His name's Penn Gillette. Maybe you're familiar with him. Penn and Teller, all right? Um, he is an outspoken atheist. He does not believe any of the things that we're talking about here this morning, okay? He doesn't believe in the songs that we were singing. He doesn't believe in the Jesus that we're talking about right now. But after a show, he tells this story, all right? He tells the story of somebody coming up to him after a show that's a young, zealous, evangelical Christian who wants to share the good news of Jesus with this man, this pretty hardened, outspoken atheist. And what's so fascinating is this man, he uses a term here that we don't maybe tend to use a lot, he uses the word proselytize, which can mean like sharing your faith, evangelism, all right? And he begins to speak. Let me just read this to you. Because some would think he's going to be, oh, what is this guy doing? But here's what he says, and I find this very challenging and convicting. Here's the words of an atheist. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, an atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me you know, alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much, he says, do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He says this, I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where he's like, listen, I just tackle you and get you out of the way of the truck. And this, he says, is more important than that. We have to be willing to recognize there is one way, it is Jesus. And so we talk about that. We're unashamed in, in that. We proclaim that. We believe that. Our life is centered on that. If you're wondering what Crosspoint is about, like that's it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's this exclusive claim. There's no way around that. And yet, it's so inclusive. Anybody can get in on it. Regardless of your past, regardless of what the future holds, there's this invitation to come and to be connected. And so first, we got to confess that Jesus is the true vine. I also think, as we see in verses 2 to 3, cultivating fruitfulness is to embrace and to pursue pruning. Look back with me at verses 2 to 3. It says this, Every branch in me that does not pr produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So you imagine... You're this follower of Jesus, and you're relatively fruitful. It'd be like, cool, you might get to sit back, kick back, put your feet up on the ottoman, like whatever. But the image here actually is, oh, if that's you, guess what? The knife is coming for you. And there's this call to embrace the pruning that the gardener is going to bring. And then verse 3 says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So there's this embrace, but also pursuit. Now, Embrace looks like this. There is suffering. 
The scriptures tell us, my brothers and sisters, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. There should be none of us that look out. Now, we might be surprised by the particular things that happen, but just in general, suffering for us to be like, oh my goodness, I never saw this coming. The Lord is like, I've told you repeatedly. You're not signing up for a life of ease that there's going to be suffering. And yet know this, that God is at work in that. If the Lord Jesus could use his, the cross, if God the Father could use his son on a cross to bring about redemption, he can work through any and all brokenness and suffering and pain that we're experiencing. And so there's this, will we embrace Maybe you're f- familiar with this, right? But like just something we see here in Florida, I believe some of these are outside there, like the crepe myrtles, right? Like certain times of the year. I do not know gardening. I don't know any of this. We used to have these at our old house. And I do know this, that once a year, they're supposed to just sort of like get whacked down to their like these ugly sticks that were like, we paid money for these sticks to be in our yard? Like, I don't understand it. And yet, given the round of time, not only would they flourish like they did the year before, but the shoots would be longer, the branches would be longer, there'd be more and more just these beautiful flowers. And so God works through pruning. We want fruitfulness, there's going to be pain. And he works through that. But what about embrace? Okay, what about pursue? Like, are we supposed to be like just gluttons for punishment? I will pursue suffering. Where's the suffering today? I want to tackle it. No, the language here in verse 3, when he talks about you are already cleansed, the word for cleansed and for pruning Right, in the Greek, they, they share the same root word. And so the idea here is that the word of God itself brings about some pruning. It brings about some cleansing. How does, the, how does God talk about the Bible? Well, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It means that there's cancer in my life. There's sin and ugliness and brokenness that I need the hands of the surgeon to go in with the scalpel of the word of God and to cut that out. And that is painful, and yet we need to pursue that. We need to be proactive in like the word of God. Examine my heart, examine my life, do this work. It's what we actually need. So if we're gonna be fruitful, we gotta embrace pruning. We have to pursue it by getting time in God's word and allowing it to do this surgical work that we all need. But know this, N.T. Wright in his commentary on this, I think puts it very profoundly. If you're going to go do this work, if you've got this plant or this vine out in your, your yard, right, and you need to go, unless somebody has invented this and it's amazing and there's some app on your phone that you can just click and suddenly this plant will be taken care of or this vine, Right, that would be amazing, but you have to get up off the couch, you have to go outside, and you have to get there right with the vine, with the plant, with this particular thing that's growing. And there's a nearness and a closeness. And so N.T. Wright says it this way, the vine dresser or the gardener, speaking of God, is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. That is not the first image that comes to mind when I think about God. Oh, he's got the knife and he's getting ready to do this work. But know this, the pain you're going through, the trials, the difficulty, there is a pruning, a purging, a cleansing work that the Lord is doing. And he is near you and he is not violent with that knife. He is using it to make you, to conform you more and more into the image of his son. That's what fruitfulness looks like. 
Because who embodied the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of the things. The Lord Jesus himself. And we want that kind of fruit. We want to be made in that, into those kinds of people. So Jesus is the only way. We embrace, we pursue pruning, but also, verses 4 to 6, we make our home in Jesus. Some translations will use this word to abide in Jesus. Look with me at verses 4 to 6. These are some of the most famous in this particular section of Scripture. This translation says, remain in me or abide in me. It says, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. So Jesus doubles down again. He's like, in case you missed it in verse 1, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And if anyone does not remain in me or abide in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. Maybe a way to think about this. The invitation here in these verses, and the reason I use this language, make your home in Jesus, one commentary is reading said, okay, we don't use the word abide a lot, right? But that's the idea, like, Make your home. Where's your place of rest? Where is the place that you go to with just the difficulties? Like, where are you making your home? It can be in any number of things out in the world, but those are not vines that produce life. They bring death. Or you can make your home. You can be the branch that's connected to the true vine. We spend so much time pretending, performing, trying to measure up. As one author talked about it, we need to have this movement from striving to abiding. We spend, right, this past week, we're exhausted because we have been striving. The Lord Jesus is not anti-us working hard. Hard work can honor him. I'm talking about that striving, that sense that I don't measure up, I gotta do a little bit more. I've gotta fix this, I've gotta bring healing here. I've got to get the recognition. I've got to be this kind of parent or this kind of spouse or this kind of employee. I've got to do this. And we just run ourselves ragged. And the invitation to fruitfulness is not go strive some more this week, my friends. You go get on that treadmill. You do more and, and just wait for the fruitfulness to happen. No, no. The only way the fruitfulness happens is when we make our home in Jesus. We move from this posture of striving to abiding to resting in him in the finished work of jesus you have nothing to prove c.s lewis talks about it this way and in, in the weight of glory he says this and he's likening god to this seashore and this invitation to go and to cool off and to immerse oneself into this beautiful sea into the water he says this this is my endlessly recurrent temptation to go down to the sea. And he says, I think St. John of the Cross called God a sea. And he says, and there, to neither dive, nor swim, nor float, but only dabble and splash, careful not to get out of my depth and holding on to the lifeline which connects me with my things temporal. Do you see what Lewis is saying? He's like, we are so calculated. We know there's this sea. We liken that to God. We liken that to making our home in Jesus. And yet, I'm so reluctant, as Lewis says. It's this constant temptation. It's like I want to be tethered to all the things of the world. And yeah, I'll go dabble. 
and I'll show up on a Sunday morning, right? And we'll dabble a little bit in this. Maybe we'll even take a step and we get connected and we serve, and those are all good things. But it can be possible to be busy with lots of religious stuff and not be making our home in Jesus. It's possible to be striving while doing all these church things. And Jesus is inviting you, come, be at my feet. Be reminded of who you are in him. And so we tether ourselves to all these things like, oh, I don't want to lose my career. I don't want to lose this relationship. I don't want to lose. And these are all good, can be all good gifts from the Lord. But the invitation is so much better. We're dabbling. We're splashing a little bit in this sea that is God and his grace. And the call is immerse yourselves. Allow the waves to wash over you to be fully just drenched in the grace of God. Now, I don't know how many of you saw this, but let's talk college football, the greatest time of the year, right? Some are like, oh, it's Christmas. No, college football, all right? So here we go. Um, I assume some of you are excited that college football is back, all right? I did not see this game live. Uh, it was a week ago, um, but I heard some of the, the news coverage, the sports coverage. It became more than just sports coverage, and perhaps you've heard this as well. There was a game being played a few hours south of here at the U, University of Miami, all right? And they're there, I believe, at Hard Rock Stadium. And while the game is going on, suddenly there's this commotion that the attention became not so much what was going on in the field, even though it was a good game, the attention became to what was going on in the stands, all right? Maybe you saw this news report, you heard this story, all right? But crowds of people began turning their attention. And what they were looking up at is this, if you can see it there. There was a cat that had been living in the stadium that made its way some way, somehow, like with its claws holding onto this, I don't know, fabric or plastic, and then there was like this thin little cable line. And so for some period of time here, all right, the attention was not so much on the game. It was like, what's going to happen to this cat? And if you go, you can YouTube it. Don't do it right now. At least do it when you get home, right? But you look this up. I mean, you will see this cat. It is flailing about. It is freaking out, understandably, because it's way up on this upper deck, and it's going to plummet to its death. All right. Now, just in case I forget to share the end of the story, the cat lives, okay? So sometimes I've told stories, and I don't tell you how it resolves, right? And it's like, what happened? So the cat lives. I may or may not have watched it forward and reverse in slow motion, watching the cat fly through the air, and I'll tell you that in a moment because it's pretty entertaining. But So this cat is there, and it's just striving with all of its might, trying to make its way up, trying to get a handhold somewhere. And everybody that knows anything at this moment, right, knows this is not going to end well. This is not going to go well. Well, some genius people decided to grab a flag and they gathered around, so almost like a, you know, fireman asking somebody to jump out of a window, and they grabbed this flag, and the people gathered around, and so they positioned themselves under where the cat was, and when the cat lost its strength and couldn't hold on any longer, the cat began to do this free fall, however many stories up in the air it was, and then it hit the, the flag that was kind of pulled, pulled tight, broke the fall, and then this guy goes, as the cat hits and kind of ends up on the ground, scoops the cat up. We would have thought Miami had just won the national championship, right? Scoops it up, holds it up like this, like this trophy, and the, just the stadium erupts. I mean, people are just going nuts, and this cat doesn't know what is happening, right? Um, and it's just flailing about, but the guy's just holding it there like this beautiful picture. Now, that's a fun story, right? And that, I think, is interesting. And if you'll bear with me for a moment, as silly as it might sound, when we talk about striving and all of this, the reality is, I think most of us at times, 
in our lives feel like we're stuck. Like we are that cat and we are scrambling and we're trying to do everything in our own strength, like trying to pull ourselves up. Can we make it? Can we do it? And we're just exhausted. And the invitation of Jesus is this, just let go. Like I've got you. Yes, there's gonna be fear. Yes, there's gonna be some things you're scared of, but I've got you. And so we trust and we let go. And I know that this was not running through the mind of the cat. Well, the cat wasn't like, oh, I'm going to trust right now, right? It was just, but we get to a point where we are so exhausted and Jesus is saying, come make your home in me. Like Lewis talked about, like be enveloped in the loving arms of God. To invite him into those spaces. Say, I am so broken. I am so hurt. I am in so much pain. I don't know what to do. And I can't do it in my own strength. I've been scrambling and trying to fix it, and it's not working. Will you trust the Lord Jesus? Will you allow him to envelop you, to experience his grace? Knowing that, and maybe you're somebody that's like, I've never trusted Jesus. The scriptures tell us for anyone, like a lost sheep that goes up, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sheep who repents. I mean, that picture of the, oh, the cat, they've got it. I mean, at a cosmic level, that's happening when we repent and we move and we realize like there's the grace of God that is offered to us. And verse seven tells us this, to pray, and I think the language here is to pray in harmony with Jesus, to pray in line with his will. It could be mistaken for sure if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. I don't think that's a call to just like, I'm gonna pray that this car magically appears in my driveway or that the Detroit Lions are gonna win the Super Bowl because we know certain things can't happen, right? So, but... There is an invitation here when you know who you are in Christ and you know how like, God's kingdom and his work, there's this invitation. Will you trust him? Let's pray kingdom prayers together. Look, let's get after it together. Let's pray that the Lord Jesus might bring a fruitfulness, not just in your life or in my life or the people sitting next to you, but like collectively as well as a church. We are broken, we are needy, we are weak, and that is the perfect spot to be for God to showcase his strength and his power. Let's pray kingdom prayers. Let's pray that more people get connected to the vine. Let's pray that there's more worship of Jesus, that more disciples are made. Let's pray that God would provide for us in ways that we can't even fathom right now, to pray in harmony with Jesus. And then verses 8 to 11, I would say, if we're going to cultivate fruitfulness, it looks like rest-fueled obedience. It's very key here. As we look at verses 8 through 11, it talks about the Father being glorified. And then verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. There's this call to obedience, but the order is hugely important. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. It's love followed by obedience. Religion says you obey and maybe God will love you. The gospel says God loves you perfectly in Christ. He can't love you any more than he does right now. He's got this perfect love for his son, and now that is how he sees you. The gospel says you are loved. Now work out your salvation. Now walk in obedience. Now be part of this movement of God to see fruitfulness. Now be faithful to what he's called you to do and to be. And in that place, there's joy. There's no joy in found, found, being found in striving to earn the Father's love. It's exhausting. You can't do it. The joy is found in this glad obedience 
as the Father has loved Jesus, Jesus has in turn loved you. And then we could spend a lot of time on this, but we don't have it this morning, but verses 12 to 17 simply are this invitation then to live and to love as friends. That Jesus says this, love one another as I have loved you. No one is greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus then begins to call us friends. And he says, if you obey. But again, it's when you understand who you are in him, you don't earn the friendship of Jesus. The way you know you are a friend of Jesus is by looking and saying, is God bringing fruit in my life? If there's no fruit, there's reason to be concerned. But, rather, but the calling here then is just to, to look and say, first and foremost, the God of the universe desires a relationship with you, with me, that there's this friendship we're invited into. And he says, I don't call you servants anymore because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. What do you do with friends? There's a vulnerability. There's a sharing. I mean, that's the kind of access. Talk about making your home with Jesus. He loves to hear from you as a son, as his daughter. There is nothing that is off limits to bring to him. Well, like we know this just at our own relationship level, right? Like there are things that should be off limits that you would share with the barista or the person checking you out at the grocery store or, or whatnot, right? Like you don't pour out your whole heart and soul and, and all of that, all right? But with a friend, here's what's going on. There's vulnerability. There's a willingness to let other people in. And Jesus is saying, that's how I view you. You're my friend. And he's given us the words of life. He's invited us into knowing him. And as Kent Hughes said, this is such a beautiful picture Then when we begin doing this. Many branches in the body of Christ have never reached their potential because no one ever encouraged them. Others would reach unimaginable heights if only someone would say, you know, you could really become something. No one has prayed for them, befriended them, or affirmed them, but we are called to do just that, to see the redemptive potential and possibilities in people, not because they're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome, and Jesus wants to do a work. And so how is all of this fueled? If that's what it looks like to cultivate fruitfulness, We'll close with this. At the end of the day, Jesus says in verse 16 here, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce fruits. We are chosen for fruitfulness. You are in Christ because of Christ's initiative, because of Christ's work, because of him being the active agent. We did not pick Christ. We did not wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'll join Team Jesus. But rather, he has chosen us. He has moved toward us. He moved into the neighborhood. He lived a sinless life that you and I are called to live. He died the death we should have died. He did all of that so we could be made friends. And there's this invitation to remember that, that we've been chosen for fruitfulness, that it is God's work through and through. In 2004, many of you guys are probably, if you were in Florida at that time, uh, three hurricanes came through central Florida. Um, the, I think it was the first of which was called Charlie. Um, and Charlie went right through like our neighborhood, destroyed a, a lot of things. I'm sure many of you experienced that. We had this beautiful oak tree that was kind of on the easement by the sidewalk, and it literally got so uprooted. It went away from our house, thankfully, and it crushed our neighbor's van. Nobody was hurt, thankfully, all right? Um, but it was just tons of damage, and it was just like a war zone, like trying to get out of our, out of our neighborhood. 
Trees everywhere, down power lines. Many of you guys lived live through that. Well, after everything got cleared up, eventually the city began going through and they began planting like replacement trees. So they got all the things hauled off. And so we went from this beautiful oak tree to this like, here, here's your, your tree. That's like basically my height, right? Um, but for the better part of 10 years, bit by bit, that oak tree got more established, began to grow, roots went deeper, branches went out further to the point where it wasn't like the one that we lost but it was beautiful, it was providing shade, you could see the growth, it was growing, I had nothing to do with it, it was just doing its thing. And then one day, it was in the middle of the summer, I walked outside and saw that every leaf on this particular tree had gone completely brown, it was beginning to fall to the ground. Not knowing what to do, but knowing enough to know like, oh, that, that's not good, um, something has gone terribly wrong, an arborist from the city came over. Apparently that's a thing, right? And so the arborist came over um, and began to talk through, said, oh, yes, lightning struck here nearby. In fact, your neighbors across the street like, lost all the electronics in their home. And that lightning did such damage that it destroyed the, the root system. And so within a few days, all the life in that tree just like went away. And the leaves browned up almost immediately and began to, to fall to the ground. So I heard that news. Now imagine for a moment to borrow an illustration, to adapt an illustration from Paul Tripp. Imagine for a moment that my neighbors walk out and they see me and I've got a bucket of paint, a bucket of green paint, and each leaf that falls down, I'm painting it back green, and I've got some tape or stapler, and I'm taping it up on the branches. My neighbors already thought I was a little crazy. This would have taken it to a whole other level, right? That every leaf from this oak tree, I'm painting it, just taping it back up there. Now, as absurd as that image is, as we close, think about this. That is what we spend most of our lives doing. We're disconnected from the true vine, the true source. We end up saying, I hope this career or this relationship or getting into this school or these people liking me or having this retirement or going on these, these particular trips or acquiring this amount of knowledge or whatever experience getting the, the pats on the back, getting the promotion, those are all vines, pseudo vines that we attach ourselves to and think, oh, if that happens, if I get that thing or this thing works out the way that I want to, that will bring flourishing and that will bring life. And guess what? It doesn't. So then we become highly skilled at painting leaves and taping them back onto the branches. We fake our way through it, we pretend, and we try and make it look like we've got it all together. And all we are doing is busying ourselves painting leaves and taping them back up. And Jesus is saying, no, there's a true vine and it's me. Get connected to me. Those other things are pseudo sources of life. They will fail you. They are counterfeits, but I'm the real deal. Will you make your home in me? Will you rest in me? You can stop painting the leaves and taping them back up. You can actually flourish and be fruitful because you're connected to me and your identity is found in me. This is how the story of God works. This is why Paul would write, we'll close with this in Ephesians chapter two, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. What's God's gift? The grace and the faith. Oh, and guess what? Not from, you're not saved by works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, you're his prized creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Your fruitfulness is contingent on him. He provided the grace, he provided the faith, he's the one who's chosen us, and he is the one before time began that prepared good works for you and me and us collectively to walk in and has given us the spirit to empower us to do. And church, 
we get to play, we get to participate, we get to be part of this kingdom work.